You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Good morning, Westwind Church. How we doing? It's going to be a good day. I don't know. If you've never met me before, again, my name is Caleb, and a little thing you need to know about me is I'm from the South, and I was raised in the South, and I went to church in the South, so that means um, I like a little bit of talking back, so if that's right. Already starting strong. Here we go. So if you never have been a kind of person you want to talk back, I, I stole this from one of my friends, but I just love how he phrases this. Uh, I'm what you call a holla back preacher, which means I love Jesus. I'm a holler and shout. We're going to get really excited on here, and you have every right to holla back at me. So, <laughs> so really excited. Um, as a church, and actually I just realized this the other day, today would like, it has literally been one year since I actually transitioned out and moved away. Um, it's just, it's crazy how much has happened in a year. And I'm sure you could probably say the same for your life as well. But as a church, we've been walking through, and you all have been walking through the book of Acts. You've seen all these incredible things that have happened, that Jesus, he ascended into heaven, and the Spirit of God came down, and the Spirit worked powerfully through the church throughout Jerusalem. And it's filled the believers, and God began to work powerfully through them as the church launched. And so if you have your Bibles with me, I want to go ahead and read our passage that we're going to be focusing on today. And it's going to be in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12. <clears throat> the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Verse 17, the high priests and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But the angel of the Lord came that night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. And then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. And I just want to take a pause right there because I think it's so powerful. Don't miss this fact. They were so, they were so passionate about what Jesus had done in their life. They were sharing the news about God's kingdom. They're running after, telling others about his love and his grace and his mercy in the, in the kingdom of God. And they get arrested, and the angel of the Lord, he sets them free. And I just love that, just that one little part right there to just be reminded wherever you are that if God is for you, that nothing can stand against you. That if you're passionate about what God has given you, he's put this message in your heart. He's going to work through you wherever you go, into your neighborhoods, into your schools, into your workplaces. And if God is for you and you believe in the message of life, that even angels and God himself will be on your side. No matter what kind of persecution you face, no matter what kind of hardship you may be going through, that God will be pushing you forward and wanting to cheer you on as you continue to share the message of what God has given us. Let's keep going because it's going to get better. 
When the captain of the guard was, well, let's back up a little bit. When the high, so, so verse, uh, I just lost my place real, real quick. There we go. Verse 21. So at daybreak, so after they busted out of jail, and the audacity, all right? Like they go back to the scene of the crime. I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> they, they get in jail, they go back right back to where they were arrested. It's crazy. So at the daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching right back to the scene of the crime. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened at the high council, or in other translations, we'll say the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles and brought them from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went into the jail, uh, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported the jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, there was no one there. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. The captain with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never to teach in this man's name. He said, instead, you have filled all of Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him, before, put him in place of honor at his right hand as the prince and savior. He did this so that the people of Israel will repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, I think I pronounced that right, uh, who was ex an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside of the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care of what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow Theodos who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed and all of his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all of his followers were scattered. So my advice, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning to do these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it was from God... You will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. Kind of like, you know, they miraculously escaped from prison unexplainably, but you know, whatever. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them to never, speak, to never again to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the high council, rejoicing that God had counted them worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. I don't know what your past year has looked like. 
Uh, but I believe that Jesus has a word for all of us today. Uh, a word about perseverance, a word about endurance, a word about conviction. But I believe that after today, no matter how weary or tired you may feel, no matter how exhausted or discouraged you are, I believe that after today, we can all go home feeling strong and courageous and filled with good news. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you for this day. We just want to dedicate this time and this message that as we get ready to dive into this word and learn about what you have for us, God, I pray for everyone here that they would be reminded of you, that you have risen, that you are powerful, that you are with us, and you desire to use us to share good news with our neighbors, that you desire to work through us to bring healing to the world around us. And even through our suffering, God, even through our persecution, you are still using us. In fact, that's when you're closest to us. In fact, that is when we get to relate and understand you a little bit more. God, we thank you for what you've given us. I pray for every single person in this room, those who need you the most, those who are struggling, those who are going through hard times, those who are kind of barely hanging on, they don't even know what to do. God, I pray that you would give them comfort and peace. But God, I pray most especially for the person in this room who feels like they need you the least, the person who feels like they've got this whole Jesus thing figured out, they, they've got it all together, they know exactly what they're doing. And God, I pray in the weirdest way that you would wreck that person, you would help them understand that we need you, that we are dependent upon you, and that when we trust in you, all of the complicated things in our life will fall into place. And so we thank you for what you've given us. God, we dedicate this message to you. Open our hearts, our minds, and our ears. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, I got a question for us. How many of you have ever watched boxing? Do we have any boxing fans in here? Anyone? If not, that's okay. It's, not, it's kind, of a, kind of a dying sport for some, but I don't know about you. Maybe it was watching on the sports channel. Maybe you saw it on the Olympics. Maybe your only real experience of boxing is watching Sylvester Stallone go up against a big blonde Russian guy and doing a big epic workout montage. I don't know. <laughs> Fronts around and he's screaming, Adrian! I don't know. Well, I actually have a pretty long history with uh, martial arts. So my dad, he learned uh, martial arts, he learned Chinese Kung Fu from Bruce Lee's childhood friend, Duncan Young. And when I was in fourth grade, uh, my dad introduced the same martial art to me. And so he gave me his, uh, his Wing Chun book and I got to study it when I was younger and I tried to learn some stuff. But when I moved to college, I got myself an official teacher, learned myself some Kung Fu, some good old moves and stuff like that. Did it for a couple of years. And I was just, I loved martial arts. I love, like, especially Chinese martial arts and all that goes into it. But when I moved back to Georgia after I was done with college, I wanted to expand my horizons a little bit. I didn't just want to be confined to just this, these Chinese martial arts. I wanted to learn some other stuff. So I joined a boxing gym. Now, if you don't know much about boxing, uh, boxing is not as much of a game of strength as much as it is a game of endurance. It's, as the famous movie quote goes, it's not about how hard you can hit, it's about how hard you can get hit and keep standing up. So I started learning, I got, went, to this, uh, went to this boxing gym, and so the goal of boxing is you want to kind of wear your opponent down. You want to wear them down, you want to get them to move, you want to dip, duck, and dodge, you want to be able to get them to move around and so that they can wear their energy down so that when you start really giving these power attacks, man, they're already worn down and they're ready to be taken out. 
So the way that you do this in boxing, when you're going up against someone, you want to wear them down, you want to drain them of their energy, you do this with a combination of combos and strikes. Now, the quickest one, the easiest one that everyone learns is a little jab. A jab is not meant to knock you out. It's not super strong. It's just a quick little thing. It'll hurt a little bit if you take it to the face, but it's not going to do some serious damage. But its goal is it's going gonna, it's gonna to be able to just kind of knock you down, get you to move, move, whatever, kind of back up, do some whatever. The more that you're moving, you're draining your energy. Now, the point of jabs is they're always going to set you up for a big hook. Because you'll go in, you'll learn some combos, you'll be like one, one, two, like whatever. You're going like to learn, you're going to uppercut, you're going like to do a big hook. You're going to learn all these things. So I started, I started learning these things. I was getting pretty good. And one day I had the opportunity. They were like, hey, you know, come in. We're going to do your first sparring match today. And I was like, cool, okay. I learned Kung Fu. I've done some boxing. I've been in a couple of encounters in my life where I was pretty confident that I knew what I was doing. So I get in the ring with this guy, and here's the thing that I didn't anticipate. I didn't anticipate the fact that the guy I was going up against was a professional boxer. Now, what you need to understand is that street fighting and sports fighting are two totally different mentalities. When you're in a sports fighting, you don't really have this life or death scenario. You don't have this life or death energy pumping into you. So I'm getting in this ring, and we're kind of trading off. We're going through some combos. We're going, we're going back and forth. We're dipping and dodging. But then next thing I knew, not very long into the fight, he just gives one. He's like, boom, boom, bam. Like just a nice uppercut knocks the wind out of me. And as soon as I got a wind knocked out, he just comes back again and knocks me straight out. And whew, let me tell you. I had the wind knocked out of me, and it took me a good couple of months before I got back into the ring because I was totally demoralized. Like, when you get the wind knocked out, you just get knocked out. That just absolutely crushes you. Like, your, your whole ego is destroyed. Your pride's knocked down. That like You're almost just scared to get back and take another big right hook to the face. It's pretty crazy. Now, I'm, I know not all of us have been in a boxing ring before. But the reason I want to tell you this story is because I believe I'm not the only one who's taken a few punches in their life. Maybe not physically, but maybe emotionally or spiritually. You see, I believe all of us at some point have taken some big hits in our life. We've taken different types of punches. Now, some of us, we've gone through, we've gone through some jabs, and they're not big. They don't knock you down. You know, you know parents, your kids send something mean to you. They don't think about what they're saying. That's like a little jab, and it stings a little bit, but it's not bad. You know, you're at work, and you got this project, and you're, getting, and you're late on this project, and it's stressing you out. You know, that's, not, that's, like, that's a little jab. It's not too bad. People are discouraging. Your parents don't understand you. Kids, your parents says something that they, you don't feel like they understand you. Like, there's some jabs. It doesn't hurt too bad. It's just a jab. But like I said in boxing, jabs are just here. They're just here to set you up for those big punches. When all of a sudden, you know, finances aren't as good as they're looking at because of COVID, you've been spending 10, 20 years at the same business, grinding it out with people, and they say, hey, we got this economic crisis. We got we to gotta make some cuts. And, and unfortunately, your, your position's been taking the cut. That's a big hit. Maybe you're a survivor and you've been, and you've been working, you've had these years and you've gone through chemotherapy. You've gone through all these things. And now the cancer's been gone for a little while. And all of a sudden, you get a phone call and you find out the cancer's back. That's a big hit. Maybe you have, you're in your marriage and you've been struggling to make it what it once was. And you're like, this person, they ain't the same person that I married 10, 15 years ago. And so you've been working hard, 
but all of a sudden you find out you start catching them in some bad habits. You start catching them in some bad situations. You catch them lying a couple times to you. And you start thinking, that's a big hit. I don't know if I can keep pushing forward. What do we do when, when the big hits come? What do we do when, when life happens and it throws out that big knockout punch? How do we persevere through that? Because the enemy wants to use those knockout punches. He wants to set you up with them little jabs in your life, and he wants to keep setting you up, getting you wearing your energy down just a little bit because he's going to send that knockout punch. Why? Because he wants to take you out of the fight for good. He wants to make you no longer a threat. So how do you keep pushing forward? How do you persevere? How do you learn to get your strength back when those knockout punches start? Well, I want to be able to encourage you and let you know there's some good news for us today because 2,000 years ago, the church also received a bit of a knockout punch. They received a pretty big hit. In, uh, in Scripture, we had this crazy stuff happen. The Holy Spirit came, and it was good, and it was awesome. God ascended, and uh, he sent the Holy Spirit down. And when the spirit, in, uh, in the spirit indwelled within the believers and the Holy Spirit came down and Pentecost happened, all of a sudden that, that, that boxing ring bell, that bell rang and it was ding, ding. It was time to fight. They were going straight into the people, speaking in tongues. All this crazy stuff starts happening. People are getting saved by the thousands. They're going around, and, and it's pretty good. And, you know, you know, people were discouraging them. People thought they were crazy, and that was kind of a little bit of a jab, but it, it didn't knock them down. They kept pushing forward because they were confident. They were, they were running in that ring. They're going around. They're healing people. And, and even once before, the, 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 the high council people brought them before, and they said, hey, you can't speak in the name of Jesus. And that, was, that rattled them a little bit, but that was just a jab. It don't, it's not going to stop them for anything. Well, what happens is, uh, is really interesting because verse 17, as we read in this passage, there are healing people left and right to the point that the scripture notes that they were, people were merely hoping to catch Peter's shadow and they would be healed. They were on fire. They were moving forward. These jabs that they were taking, people were, people were questioning them, thinking they were crazy. The Pharisees and all these other people, they were saying, hey, you can't do this. Don't preach in the name of Jesus. It wasn't stopping them. They just kept pe keep pushing forward. Verse 17 tells us that uh, their healings and miracles were creating such attention that it was filling the high priest and his officials with jealousy. So they threw them in jail, but it didn't stop them. The very, like we said before, that very evening, the angel of the Lord and full angel swag opens up the jail cells, sends them right back out and says, go preach this message of life. In other translations, it says, uh, go preach the message of this life, this life, the life that God has given you, the life that he's empowered you with, the life that shows you the good news of God's kingdom. And he wants to liberate you in this world from the darkness that controls it and wants to prepare the world for when he returns and all that is wrong is made right. God, this life is going to empower you. You got to go preach this message. Because like I said before, when God is for you, nothing can stand against you. But just because God is on your side doesn't mean you're not going to face opposition. And I know this not only because did Jesus not only promise this to his followers, John 16, 33, you will have troubles, but take heart, I've overcome the world. But I also know this is true because as we read in scripture, our forefathers in faith, in faith forefathers in faith 
They faced opposition when God was on their side. In fact, every person who has God on their side, every person who, ha- who counts God as their friend, their father, their Lord and Savior, has faced opposition because there's evil in this world that hates God and all that God loves, which means you. The temple guards arrested the apostles again. They brought them before the high, the, the, the high council, and the high priests were furious Pay, pay, pay attention to verse 28. It says, we gave you strict orders never again to teach this man's name. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the other disciples stood their ground. They said, we must obey God rather than human authority. Now, what in the world compels Peter to be so bold? He could have been killed any moment if he made them mad enough. And yet he's so confident about what he's proclaiming. He's so confident about standing up to these people. Now, this may not be like a a big shock to you when you're just reading this passage, but do you want to know what I see when I read this? I see the same Peter who, while he was following Jesus, while Jesus was literally standing with him and Jesus was walking with him and they were going through those journeys, I look at that Peter who was running away from the very guys he's standing before because he didn't want to die. You see, when Jesus was before the Sanhedrin, right before his crucifixion, they were interrogating him, they were putting him on trial, and they were so mad that they just started beating Jesus up, ripping his beard out, beating the snot out of him. And so all of a sudden, people recognized Peter in the midst of that chaos. But Peter, he swore three times that he didn't know who Jesus was. Peter didn't want to die. Peter didn't want to be beat up like Jesus was getting beat up. He said, I don't know who this guy is. And now, all of a sudden, when Jesus isn't even there physically with them, he's not walking among them. Now, Peter, he's ready to be crucified if that's what it takes. Peter's ready to die at any moment now. What changed? What changed? Verse 30, this is what changed. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. We did this so the people of Israel, he did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. Peter had a dramatic shift because he saw something. He witnessed something, and it changed him forever. He witnessed his rabbi Jesus after alive. He watched him be alive, walk among them after dying, and it changed everything. So what do we do after those big hits? What do we do when people want to come against us and they want to push us down? What happens when life doesn't go the way you expect and it crushes you to your very soul? Peter helps us understand the answer to this question, and the answer is conviction. And if you don't hear anything else, I want you to understand this today, that your conviction is the measure of your endurance. Your conviction, how strongly you hold to truth, how deeply that you commit, cement something into your heart. Peter helps us understand that, what is, that 
this strength and how strongly we hold the truth, that is what determines how many times we can get back up after being knocked down. Your conviction is the measure of your endurance. When Peter was walking with Jesus and, he, and Jesus was getting beaten up, he ran away. Why? When he was faced with death, he lost endurance. He threw in the towel. Why did he do all this? Because that was the size of his conviction. He had a lot of talk, but when push came to shove, he ran away. And he succumbed to fear. But after meeting Jesus, after he's risen from the grave, after meeting Jesus, his conviction was deeper. His, his, his conviction was stronger. His belief was more powerful. And because his conviction was stronger, his endurance was longer. Because his conviction was stronger, he had more endurance. Why? Because your conviction is the measure of your endurance. He could persevere and endure so much more. He could stand in the face of death and it wouldn't move him an inch because his conviction gave him strength. This is why even after he was flogged, all the apostles, they were flogged. They were whipped. That they, Flogging, I don't know if you knew much about how flogging works, but the way flogging works is these whips, but they're not just whips. They're like, they're knotted with shards of glass and nails and all these things. It's designed that when it whips you, it doesn't just whip you. It like, it, it like, it just like nails into your back and just rips off like just, just chunks of your back and your skin and flesh. And they got flogged many times. And so this is why when they were flogged and they were, they were going through this flogging, this horrible beating, they're literally walking out of the temple courts bloody. And what do they do? They don't take a moment to go pray and recuperate and heal and wait a couple months to come back. No, they're literally bloody. Their, their back is dripping with blood and they're walking out onto the street praising God and rejoicing. Why? Because of their conviction of what they've seen. Their conviction of what they've heard. Their conviction that this man that I walked with, that who, we, who they preached with, who they saw miracles happen, that he was killed, but he's raised to life and he proved himself that he's God, that he's raised himself from the dead, that he's the Messiah who came to save all people. And he's called them to go and share that message with, with others. And so when they had watched him be crucified, they watched him get flogged. They were able to take all those things in and say, you know, it doesn't matter what I go through. It doesn't matter how much pain I endure. It doesn't matter how much I can endure, how much suffering I might face because Jesus is better. Jesus is the one who encourages me and inspires me and pushes me forward to endure all ridicule and shame and disgrace and suffering because I know that the more that I run after him, I'm running after the kingdom of God and I'm running after a world that's broken and doesn't know that it needs to be saved. And it's up to the people of God to tell the world that Jesus has risen. They did all this because of their conviction. What was their conviction? Verse 42, that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is, as the word actually literally translates, the anointed one. Jesus took all suffering on himself, that he was beaten for our transgressions, as it says in Isaiah. He was crushed for our sins but by his wounds, we are healed. 
Jesus opened their eyes to the kingdom, and he opened their eyes to the promise and a purpose in life. They were able to endure so much because they had an encounter with Jesus. So my question to you is, have you had an encounter with Jesus? Some of you have never even thought about talking about Jesus before. Some of you have never even considered sitting down with your coworker at work and talking to them about Jesus. It's because you're lacking conviction. We spend all day lifting up praises and shouts to our favorite sports teams. We go, woo, yeah, let's go. Iowa State or Iowa University or USA because it's Olympics time. I don't know. (laughs) We lift all these praises and shouts to our favorite sports teams, and yet we fall short to do the same for the name of Jesus. It's because we lack conviction. We lack conviction because your conviction is the measure of your endurance. Are you finding yourself frustrated are you finding yourself frustrated that you can't work it up to talk to your friend or your coworker or your mom or your dad about Jesus? Do you find yourself weak at the knees at times? Like you plan it? Like have you ever been in that situation where like maybe you invite someone over for dinner? Maybe you're going to talk to your mom and you're like, you're like I'm going to talk to him about Jesus today. But then all of a sudden you, it doesn't happen. It, it kind of falls short and, you're, and you tell yourself, well, it just wasn't the right time. No, it, it was the right time. Uh, we just, we didn't have enough conviction. And that's hard to hear. That's a challenging word that requires humility for us to embrace. Your conviction is the measure of your endurance. So how far are you willing to go? That's my, this is a question for you. How far are you willing to go to show Jesus that you love him? How far are you willing to go to show Jesus that you love him? You'll only go as far as deep as your conviction is. Many of us like to think that when push comes to shove, we'll do the right thing. Like, well, when push comes to shove, and you know, when it really matters most, I'll do the right thing. But I can promise you, without a firm conviction, in the moment where it counts most, you'll just be like Peter who ran away and just said, I don't know who he is. Because your conviction, as I said, is the measure of your endurance. So how do you strengthen your conviction? How do you strengthen your conviction? How do you come to the place where your suffering, disgrace, and and shame from the name of Jesus can bring you joy and lead you to rejoicing? The key is found in verse 12. Now in verse 12, it talks about that they were going through and they were performing these healings and these these miracles and all these things. And that's great. God may want to use you to do that one day. But at at the core of what it was, what is it that the apostles were doing? They were loving their neighbor. They were caring for those who were outcasted. They were giving money to the homeless, caring for the widows and orphans. At the end, at the core of it all, it wasn't about these supernatural miracles and healings and signs and wonders. It was just about the fact that it is through God they were loving their neighbor. So what are you doing to love your neighbor? You know, here's the thing about boxing. Um, You can get in the ring. You can go to a boxing gym. You can learn some combos. You can learn some cool things. You can get the punching bag. You can learn all the moves. You can learn all enough about it. But the thing about boxing is, like I said, it's a game of endurance. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep standing up. And in a boxing gym, the only way that you can learn how to take a punch 
is getting in the ring and taking a punch. The only way that you can learn how to keep pushing forward is to put yourself in opportunities and circumstances which require you to keep pushing forward. If you want to learn how to take a punch for Jesus, you got to put yourself in places where you're going to take a punch for Jesus. You don't learn to build endurance. You don't learn to build endurance until you've been in places where you've exhausted yourself and have your, your endurance to have a chance to grow and build more endurance. A runner doesn't just wake up and run a full marathon. They got to build up to it. And how do they do that? They keep running until they've exhausted themselves. And then they come back when they've recovered and they can run a little bit more and a little bit more. And they keep doing that until next thing you know, now they can run a full marathon. They can do a full Ironman. They got all this endurance that they can do. You got to get in there. You got to get your hands dirty. You got to do it yourself. James 1 verses 2 through 3 says to consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds for the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let me tell you a story about Sidney Bullback. So some of you may know Sydney, and uh, two years ago, like, I, like uh, Pastor Keith mentioned before, I used to be the youth minister here at Westwind, and two years ago, uh, I had this discipleship program that I brought to our student ministry, and it's called The Few, and it's all, it was designed to, to disciple teenagers and to help them be empowered for the gospel and to go out and to share the good news of God's kingdom and teach them how to make disciples. And one day, I took Sydney and a couple other students. We were at Dairy Queen. And as we were sitting in this booth, I said, I said to Sydney, I said, hey, you see those people over there? You're going to go pray for them. And she's like, right now? And I was like, yeah, right now. Now, I have video of this, but I didn't bring it to spare you of some, of some embarrassment. <laughs> That's called mercy. I just <laughs> She was so shy, and she got up there. She prayed for these people, and her voice was shaking and all this stuff, but she did it. She went and prayed for these people. Now, a couple months later, total strangers, by the way, total strangers, goes up and prays for them. A couple months later, I take her and a couple other students. We go to downtown Des Moines, and we're carrying these free signs, uh, these signs that say free prayer. We have these shirts that say, how can I pray for you? We're walking around downtown Des Moines, and we're going, and we're praying for these people. And again, Sydney gets to pray for this woman. Her voice is a little shaky. She's a little, you know, a little unsure, but she prayed for this woman, prayed for her. Like, it was like something about her going for a master's degree or something like that. And she prays for this woman and prays for her, and we go and pray for this homeless man and a couple other people. That was about two years ago. Fast forward two years. This is really cool. I haven't been here in Iowa, but I still get some text messages from some students that go to this church because they either just want to talk or they want to spill their beans or they, they got hardship and they just want to process through it and stuff. And this one student, she texted me and she was like, hey, can we talk because I'm struggling right now and I don't, I don't know what to do and I really need, I need to talk to you. And I was like, cool, uh, give, me a call, give me a call tomorrow, let's talk. And I didn't hear back from her. And I was like, okay, like everything all right? Like I hadn't heard from her in a couple of days so I sent her a message. I was like, hey, you doing all right? Like, I'm kind of concerned for you. I hadn't heard from you. You doing okay? Everything all right? And I get this text message back from her. She says, whew, I'm already getting excited. <laughs> she says, actually, yeah, I'm doing great. I talked to Sydney and she prayed for me. You want to talk about proud? Whoo! <laughs> so proud. This girl who was so shy and was so scared to pray for other people has now become a prayer warrior, ready to pray for anyone at any given moment. Why? Because she had conviction. The conviction that prayer is powerful. 
that there is power in prayer and that God wants to use her to do powerful things. And it can be as simple as just going and praying for someone. She has the conviction and now she's come so far in her faith journey, so far and so confident that at any given moment, she'd pray for someone right then and there. It's because she has conviction that Jesus wants to do powerful things through her. And the same is true for you. God wants to do powerful things through you, but it's all about your conviction because your conviction is the measure of your endurance. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do to be able to build your endurance? How strong is your conviction? Will you, be, will you take that first crazy step and start sharing the love of God with your neighbor? Will you be the kind of neighbor who just may invite someone else over for dinner? And during that time, you were like, hey, like, crazy question, but what are your thoughts on Jesus? Will you be the kind of person, in fact, uh, Pastor Keith, I was talking this, uh, this past week, getting ready for the message, and he was telling me about these magnets that you guys have. Like, who's your one? Who's your neighbor? Who are you going to reach out to? Will your conviction drive you to start to take this seriously? Will your conviction drive you to love your neighbors, to go out and to make a difference in the world around you? I wonder what it would look like if we all understood that our conviction, conviction is the measure of our endurance. What would our world look like? What would our church look like? I think if we truly understood this, that we would be the kind of people who wouldn't be afraid to go into their workplaces, wouldn't be afraid to go talk to their parents, wouldn't be afraid to go talk to their siblings, wouldn't be afraid to go talk to their friends, that we would be the kind of people who would go into our community, go into the city of Waukee, go into your neighborhood, and we'd be the kind of people who share the love of God and all that he has for us because you have nothing to be afraid of. You have nothing to be afraid of because our convictions should be the same as the apostles, that Jesus has risen, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus wants to take all the bad stuff in your life and in our world, and he wants to make it right, and that God wants to take all that bad stuff and remove it from you. He wants to replace it with his spirit, and when he replaces it with his spirit, he wants to produce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all these things so that when Jesus comes back to the world, we have prepared it for what his return turn. God wants to work powerfully in your life. God wants to work powerfully through you. He doesn't want you to just sit in the comfort of your home and just live your nice little happy life. God wants to use you to get uncomfortable, to go into the spaces that are hard and difficult because he wants you to be the light in this dark world. He wants you to carry that light with him. Y'all remember that song we would sing as kids if you grew up in church? This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Come on, you know it. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of, you got it. I'm going to let you do it. Come on. I'm going to let it shine. Whew, it's like you know the song. <laughs> you know what that light is? That's the fire of the Holy Spirit. That's what they were singing about. That little light of yours is the spirit of God. But will you let it shine? Will you let it shine?
It's all about your conviction. It's about your conviction. When we understand that our conviction is the measure of our endurance, it will only give us more confidence when we face hardship. It doesn't matter how many times you've been beaten down. It doesn't matter how many times your heart has been broken. Because what happens is every single time that you get back up, when life doesn't go the way that you expect it, when your world flips upside down, every time that you get back up, you only get stronger. You keep pushing forward and you get stronger and stronger and stronger. And the stronger you get, you'll have more endurance, more chances that you can take more on. You keep pushing forward. And if you're a church that takes this seriously, whoo, God is going to do some powerful things. God is calling you to bring good news to others. God, he's calling you to go into this dark world to make a difference and to share his goodness and his love and his mercy. Church, I, I, I believe that you can make a difference wherever you are. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how much money you don't have. It doesn't matter if you look like the people around you. It doesn't matter if you've already been facing oppression your whole life. It doesn't matter if you, if you haven't faced any difficulties at all. God wants to use you where you are. He wants to use you to move into your streets, move into your neighborhoods, move into your, into your city and make a difference to use the suffering that you have experienced in your life to bring healing to the world around you. God is going to do powerful, powerful things through you. Even if we get brokenhearted, even if we face ridicule, even if we face suffering, let us rejoice because God has counted us worthy of facing disgrace and shame for his name. It's not shame and disgrace in the face of God. It's only in the face of humanity. But just like Peter and the apostles said, we aren't here to serve humans. We're not here for human authority, but we're only here for the power and the word of our God. Amen? Amen. Your conviction is the measure of your endurance. Let's carry this conviction together and proclaim that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for what you've given us. God, we ask that you would just be with us in every circumstance that we face that you would help us have the power, the confidence, the ability that we could go into our neighborhoods and we can just go up to someone, our next, literally our next door neighbor, we can knock on their door and say, you want to have dinner with me tonight? And that we could be the kind of people who would just radiate the joy of God, that we would longingly and gladly go and tell other people that Jesus has changed our life, that Jesus has, has healed us, that Jesus is the one who wants to restore us, that Jesus is the one who wants to be able to come into this world, and that when he returns, that we can know there'll be no more death or crying or pain or suffering, that every tear will be wiped away, and that we know, God, that it is through you that we experience this glory and this victory, and it is up to us that we would be, that we would understand that just like it says in the book of Romans that how in the world are these people going to know unless they hear? How in the world are they going to hear it unless someone is sent? But as it says in Isaiah 52, that how beautiful are the feet of those who carry good news. God, I pray for West Wind Church. I pray for every person sitting in their seat that they would be the people who would, be, who would have the conviction 
to go and to share your word, to share the good news of your kingdom and your glory and your love and your grace. God, will we carry the conviction that you are risen, that you love us, and that even when we feel like you're a million miles away, God, that is when you are your closest. God, we thank you for what you've given us. We ask that you would comfort us, give us peace, give us endurance. We thank you for all you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.